you're with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside DLU, and we look back at K-State's 37-31 loss at the hands of the Oklahoma Sooners. K-State dropping to 3-2 overall and 0-2 here uh, to start Big 12 play as they head into a bye week, which, you know, quite frankly, DLU, I think, comes at a pretty good time for the Wildcats. Uh, but we'll be here to break down kind of what happened in this 37-31 loss to the Sooners and uh, kind of give our thoughts here on, on the state of K-State football as we head into the bye week. Uh, before we get started, DLU, I want to talk about our friends over at Manhattan Brewing Company. Uh, they are the title sponsor uh, of the Short Side Option podcast, and you know we couldn't be happier to have them aboard. And, and folks, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, kind of what they've got going on here. Uh, Manhattan Brewing Company is located in the heart of downtown Manhattan at 406 Points Avenue. Uh, their motto is simple over at Manhattan Brewing Company. We brew beer for the people of Manhattan because that's what we are and that's who we care about. They have a tremendous selection of beers on tap with over 15 beers, all of which are brewed in-house. There's something to be sure to please any beer drinker's palate. Manhattan Brewing Company provides high-quality craft beer and a family-friendly atmosphere. You can enjoy views of downtown Manhattan as you sip on some of their classics like the Townie, a wheat brew with Citra hops, or the Conservation Colch, a light in color and body beer with a slightly fruity aroma and taste. With that Conservation Colch, folks, they give a pint of that, or they give a dollar of every pint sold to the Sunset Zoo to assist with their conservation efforts. So definitely a good cause there. Uh, whether if you're looking for a place to watch the Wildcats play or just wanting to get together with friends uh, to catch up over a few drinks, uh, Manhattan Brewing Company is just the spot for you. That's Manhattan Brewing Company at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan. So d K-State, uh, they drop one here to the Sooners at the conference home opener in what was a uh, charged up uh, Bill Snyder Family Stadium, 37-31. Yeah, there are definitely some plays uh, that were kind of left out there for K-State uh, on Saturday. And, uh, you know, you have to kind of look back at this one, kind of wondering what could have been. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's hard to get your dauber two down about, um, you know, a game like that where uh, K-State was pretty competitive throughout the game. Um, you know, there were parts of the uh, third and fourth quarter well, where it certainly felt out of reach. But uh, K-State fought... All 60 minutes, right up until uh, the last minute, really, uh, when they brought that kickoff return back and then made it an onside kick before the game was really salted away by Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, a tough loss, and like you said, some uh, some plays that were left out there, um, ones that K-State would like to have back. But some encouraging signs, um, and some discouraging signs, too. Uh, so... In any event, uh, at the end of the day, K-State moves to 3-2, and 0-2 oh in conference, and uh, K-State's going to have to try to get back on the winning side. Yeah, and you know, I mentioned K-State's going into a bye week here, and I think that that really uh, comes at a really good time for K-State, and we'll touch a little bit more on that here uh, a little bit later on. But yeah, you know, you absolutely take some positives away, uh, especially with what what the offense looked like. I mean, Skylar Thompson back in the fold. I know we expected him to uh, to play. Uh, he exceeded my expectations, really, in terms of what he was able to provide for K-State. You didn't know, you know quite what his, um, you know, really ability to move around would be. 
You didn't know if he was going to be a little bit hobbled, what the case might be there. But, you know, for a guy that does rely on his legs, uh, you know, a fair amount, uh, he really didn't do much of that. Uh, You'd expect to see him, you know, running the ball and carrying the ball for K-State, but didn't attempt one rush. Uh, The only, uh, I guess, carry that's attributed to him is a a nine-yard sack that he took. But really, I thought, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this here, uh, D'Lo, but I think his injury to, to his leg, and you could tell there was some sort of uh, brace or apparatus uh, kind of underneath his, his sock and pad, or at least I thought there was, that I thought maybe knowing that, hey, I'm not quite 100% on, on, this, on this leg or on this knee, uh, I'm going to uh, take my uh, shots from the pocket and look to look to throw the ball when I'm scrambling out or by stepping up in the pocket rather than, you know, where Skylar Thompson of old might uh, say, I'm going to go ahead and, and tuck this under and, and try to pick it up with my legs. Yeah, I mean, I think they're just being really careful with him, and you can certainly see why. I mean, I think that's pretty wise to just limit his chances of injury just because we saw what the offense looked like without sure. him. They'd, if it, if if it wasn't made clear by the last 12 months, and especially the last uh, two games, uh, K-State really needs Tyler Thompson to stay healthy if they want to have success this season. Um, and in order to do that, you want to limit the amount of hits he takes, even though uh, his injury this season happened to come on a non-contact injury. But regardless, uh, it, that that does change the K-State offense quite a bit. I mean, K-State's always relied on um, the quarterback run game just to kind of supplement and add another dynamic to K-State's rushing attack. Obviously, Deuce Vaughn, Joe Irvin, those guys are pretty dynamic in their own right. But but that threat of the quarterback run makes the really opens things up, especially in those read option looks where defenses are having to kind of keep in mind a second potential rusher. But in any event, uh, K-State uh, with Skylar Thompson showed uh, on Saturday that they don't necessarily need him to get it done on the ground for K-State to have a productive offense. What what Skylar Thompson gives you through the air, and especially just his general knowledge of the offense oh, sure. in terms of uh, no, being able to predict where yeah. his receivers are going to go on option routes, being able to recognize defenses and really find the soft spot. And like we talked about last week, him on the field elevates everyone else just because he's more confident back there than, than the alternatives. And also the wide receivers are a little bit more confident in, in the guy throwing in the football. The offensive line is a little bit more confident, and certainly the running backs are too. And so we saw on Saturday that even though their K-State is playing uh, you know, Skylar Thompson back there with one hand tied behind their back when they can't run the football, their other hand is uh, is pretty darn strong in its own right uh, so long as Skylar Thompson's in the game. You know, and I, I think that's a great illustration kind of of what that – what this K-State offense looks like with Skylar Thompson really being kind of a little bit more one-dimensional than he would probably prefer to be, uh, just as more of a passing threat. But, you know, there were several times where uh, receivers are open on, you know, uh, on comeback routes or just an out route to the sideline. That's a bit of a timing play. But the ball, it's not a difficult throw. The ball, I mean, they're open. You know, they've got that separation and uh, the ball's on the money to him. And, and that's just something that you can't necessarily 
uh, count on so far with with whether if it's Will Howard or Jaron Lewis that we've seen so far this year. So that dimension of the passing game, I thought looked uh, as good as it has here uh, for K-State here in some time, to be honest with you. Um, If ultimately what this kind of has to be uh, for K-State is, you know, and I think there's enough other balance on this team because I don't think the 2014 version of the Wildcats, kind of with Jake Waters tossing the ball around quite a bit, uh, could really run the ball very well for a number of reasons. Not not great running backs, um, an offensive line that really didn't have uh, you know a great track record of run blocking. That's the kind of um, kind of offense that I almost saw a little bit on on Saturday was you know using Skylar Thompson as a playmaker in the pocket and uh, letting the receivers and and Deuce Vaughn of course had a huge day uh, receiving, going for over a hundred yards on ten receptions. Uh, you know, a guy that played really well, uh, really, uh, as he often does for K-State. But thought the offense, if this is a bit of a new uh, kind of offensive style that K-State has to, you know, go with here going forward throughout the rest of the season where we're going to limit Skyler running the ball and we're going to have him drop back, you know, 20, 30, you know, probably 30 times a game possibly. I think there's a, a chance that this offense could look really good for K-State. Yeah, and that's it's really what the offense, what I kind of expected the offense to look like coming into the year. I, I expected after the, you know, the case study last year of, of what this K-State offense looks like when Skyler goes down, I expected to see less quarterback run than we actually saw um, for against Stanford, for example, where he ran the ball, I want to say, 10-plus times um, against them. Uh, but coming into the year, I thought, you know, I don't think we need to rely quite as heavily on the quarterback run game this year, only because he's so much, I mean, he does add that dynamic ability as a runner, but his real value is just being back there and being a competent passer. And so the offense on Saturday, I thought, was very impressive because OU was devoting a lot of attention to Deuce Vaughn. Um, Deuce goes 51 yards on 15 carries. Kind of a pedestrian day running the football for him. But, again, this K-State offense has that ability with Skylar Thompson back there to really take what the defense gives them. And so if, you know, we we talked earlier this year with Will Howard in the game, for example, defenses are going to force Will Howard to beat him with their arm. They'll say, we'll take our chances, limit Deuce Vaughn, do not let K-State get any yards on the ground, and we'll see if Will Howard can go out there and get it done. Yeah. Now... Uh, against Oklahoma State, didn't really happen. Nevada really didn't have the horses to compete with K-State's running game, even when they're devoting that much attention to it. Um, but against Oklahoma, we saw that, you know, if teams want to eliminate Deuce Vaughn, if teams want to just force K-State to pass them all day to win, uh, Skyler Thompson went out and proved that K-State's certainly capable of putting up a lot of yards through the air if they have to. Uh, Thompson goes... 320 yards on 41 attempts, 29 completions, three touchdowns and no interceptions. So pretty darn good day at the office. One of the best games of his career. Certainly the best game uh, he's had since last year at Oklahoma. I agree. I Um, agree wholeheartedly. And so it's... We saw everything that we would have wanted to see out of the offense against Oklahoma this week Um, in terms of just K-State showing that that it is good enough to punish teams who are uh, overcompensating, trying to stop Deuce Vaughn, that Skylar Thompson can uh, beat you with his arm. 
Well, let's go ahead and, and jump kind of into this game. You know, K-State had, had two really, really good drives uh, to start the game. Shoot, really, three really good drives. Um, when you look back at the first drive, of course, coming away empty-handed, the Jacardi Wright fumble inside the red zone uh, that really uh, you know killed any momentum that K-State had early on as they moved it right down on OU, um, going 12 plays, a little over six minutes there. But the right fumble, KU, or Oklahoma rather, excuse me, uh, gets right down in the red zone here for uh, for their next possession. And K-State's able to bow up there defensively. You know, I thought that was an absolutely gigantic uh, stop there by the defense. And quite frankly, gave me hope that this would set the tenor for the game for K-State uh, on the defensive side of the ball, saying, you know, Oklahoma's going to move the ball. No question about that. But inside the 20, inside the 30, that's where this K-State defense is going to bow up. And unfortunately, they didn't do that much throughout the rest of the day. But that first uh, defensive stand for K-State I thought was huge and uh, only held Oklahoma there to a, to a field goal attempt. Yeah, I mean, you know, K-State, like you said, K-State gets that good drive to start with. The unfortunate fumble by Chicardi Wright. Oklahoma takes it all the way down. Um, would have been very easy for this K-State defense just to say... Oh, you're seven. Hands. Yeah. And credit to the K-State crowd because there was a big uh, oh, yeah. false start penalty. Yeah, uh, crowd, where, was, crowd was great. Yeah, where uh, that backed OU up when I believe they were as close to the one-yard line. And then, so you had the false start, the errant snap. Yeah, they moved it inside. Yeah, they. I think they had that that errant snap was huge. Uh, and then we got a sack there to make it a, you know, not a chip shot fo- uh, field goal for Oklahoma, but uh, with Gabe Burkich kicking it, uh, you know, he's well within range, uh, really anywhere on the field almost. Right, and so, you know, at that point you're thinking, okay, K-State goes out, has a great offensive series, Oklahoma's offense has been struggling. K-State's defense has been struggling a little bit. But K-State's defense certainly won that first battle. Uh, unfortunately, couldn't quite sustain that uh, throughout the entire contest. Or really for at any other point in the contest. Uh, yeah, un- unfortunately, there, those moments of, of uh, bright spots for the defense were few and far between uh, for the remainder of the contest. You know, like you mentioned, K-State goes right down uh, again here on, on their next possession after after that fumble, and they go out and get seven points on a touchdown. And, you know, in those first couple drives, you saw K-State going for it on fourth down. Uh, of course, fourth and goal, the little swing pass out uh, to uh, Phillip Brooks, which I thought was a, a really nice play call. If you try jamming it up the middle there with Deuce Vaughn or get it in the quarterback run game, which I thought that would have been a good time to do so, it kind of shrinks that field down a little bit, and credit to uh, to Mess for getting a good one called there because uh, K State was able to outflank OU a little bit, and Philip Brooks pretty much just had a had a one on one battle with his guy uh, wide receiver up to, up to the top of the screen, who I can't recall exactly who that was at this point in time. Held his block long enough, and, and Brooks was able to uh, to get in there for a seven and. That, I thought, was a huge play, too, of course. You know, how deflating would it be to get down inside the Oklahoma 20 twice and have no points to show for it? So getting that touchdown, I thought, was the right call to go for it in that situation. I thought the play call uh, was good to match. Yeah, I uh, at the time, I said, I don't like I don't like this. <laughs> I, I really? Said, you wanted to feel good? I, I'd say, yeah, just take the points and get out of and there. That, and you and know what? It, 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 if you say that and, you know, 
we're, we're through the first two drive. You know, we've had two drives. They've had one drive. And we're down, and it's tied 3-3, assuming we make the chip shot field goal. Yeah, I don't have any issue with that. But I felt that at that point in the game, it was the right decision to go for it. And, and uh, you know, what you saw, that was a precursor, you know, for what you saw all day with, with climbing into uh, into doing, you know, some things that were a little bit maybe out of character for him. But then he made another comment uh, in, in his press conference this week. that He said, I, at the beginning of the season, I made the decision – that on fourth down with this offense, we're going to go for it. Yeah, a lot. Which that caught my eye a little bit because, you know, it's kind of a, a a brash statement to make at the beginning of the year and saying, you know, against, you know, in most situations, fourth and two, fourth and three, fourth and four. You know, obviously, I don't think he's going to go for that on K State's ten yard line necessarily, but. Uh, showing that aggressiveness and showing that faith in your offense, uh, I think is is a good thing for K State. Yeah, and I, you know, it works, so I can't complain yeah, too much. Exactly. But at the time, I thought, oh, boy, if, if K State doesn't get this, there's going to be a lot of people second guessing this call. Um, but K State got it. It was like you said, it was a great call by Mess, who I thought called a pretty darn good game. Yeah, on yeah I Saturday. thought he called a well game. You know, it's amazing how much better he gets at calling plays when he doesn't have. A, <laughs> when, he, when he's got a pretty darn good quarterback back Yeah, there. it helps. It sure does. It uh, sure helps. He, he looks a lot less dumb. I, di- I didn't hear very many people complaining about him this week for some reason. I, yeah. Must have just called better plays. Must have. Um, but, uh, no, so at 7-3, I'm feeling pretty darn good about things. Um, and I feel like we're certainly in the game, and it doesn't... The way our offense is moving the football, it, it sure doesn't seem like things are going to get out of hand, which, coming into the game, you're a little worried about. Yeah, absolutely. Now... On the next possession, and I think maybe this figures into a little bit of that calculus of going for it. Uh, Oklahoma just moves the ball methodically down. They score a touchdown, and it's back and forth here. Uh, and and we'll just kind of get here to the to the point that I think the game. I, I won't say it's swung because I think that comes a little bit later in this ball game, but I thought a big play here was after K State. Uh, goes down and they have the ball uh, in a uh, in a ten to ten ball game or in a uh, ten to seven ball game rather before kicking a field goal to make it ten to ten. Uh, Skylar Thompson uh, on second and goal takes a sack uh, and that pushes K State to to third and nineteen, uh, third and goal to go essentially uh, at the nineteen yard line and K State's not able to score a touchdown there have to settle for a field goal which they do make. Uh, but it gives Oklahoma uh, some time to get back down the field, and they take a field goal uh, to go into the locker room uh, with a 13-10 lead. All things considered, this is kind of the the like in terms of how you draw it up uh, for K State uh, in that first half. Outside of the score uh, going into halftime, trailing. I mean, gosh, Oklahoma didn't seem like they were on the field much. That offense wasn't on the field much. K-State was able to move the ball pretty easily. Uh, you know, you saw some good things out of this K-State offense. In terms of how you want to script that first half, I thought about it was, it was as good as you could ask for uh, for the Wildcats on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, that, that field goal drive you talked about, boy, 19 plays uh, in almost nine minutes yeah, of exactly. game time. I mean, yeah, 19 plays, nine minutes, 65 y- or 63 yards, rather, on that, and gosh, I mean, those are the kind of plays, though, if you are going to upset an Oklahoma, or those are the kind of drives, rather, I should say, if you're going to upset a team like Oklahoma, you got to find a way to get seven there. 
and uh, not being able to to punch it in on, on goal to go opportunity that's the thing for K State. Yeah, it does. I mean, on the other hand, K State had the ball really for three drives in the first half and came away with ten points on those three drives. I mean, that's you're operating at a pretty good points yep. per drive clip yep. um, in that case, and you know that third drive. Uh, the one case they didn't score on, obviously kind of a freak fumble, um, where K-State did end up moving the ball 62 yards. Now, unfortunately, Oklahoma returns the ball well into field goal range yeah. and knocks on the door. But um, offensively in the first half, it, it's hard to have too many complaints uh, when K-State's coming away with um, damn near three and a half points per drive. Yeah. So halftime comes, you know, we're feeling pretty good about with, with where we're at. Oklahoma obviously getting the ball first uh, to start the second half. That's why that three points right before halftime certainly stung a little bit because uh, you knew they were going to be able to uh, to add on to that league getting first uh, first licks there. Well, and, you know, that last Oklahoma drive, it, it stung so much just because it was such a backbreaker. I mean, yeah. you know, the K-State defense, aside from that short Oklahoma possession uh, after the turnover – uh, Oklahoma rattles off uh, 75 yards in 12 plays, um, which isn't very encouraging. And then on really their second full possession, they go uh, nine plays, 65 yards in a minute and a half. Um, yeah. Right. And in, in, in this point in the game where, you know, Oklahoma's not going to be very balanced here, um, you know, you don't have to worry too much about Kennedy Brooks in that. Um, you know, two-minute offense. And so, you know, everybody in the stadium knew that this was going to be the Spencer Rattler show uh, on that drive, and it certainly was. And there just wasn't a lot K-State could do to figure out the Oklahoma passing attack. You, you know, and on that last drive of the first half, Oklahoma, you know, goes that nine plays and 65 yards. They don't face a third down in that situation. And, and quite frankly, they only face seven of them throughout the day. Uh, on Saturday, and you know you gotta be able to force them into a couple more of those situations. You feel like uh, to be able to get off the field in those situations, K State wasn't able to force enough of those uh, to be able to capitalize on it. They did get the interception. Was there one real stop uh, of this Oklahoma offense, which, as we mentioned, going into the game had struggled, but. You knew you were going to keep this Sooner offense down for long, and uh, they, you know. Mattering in competition here, had to have their best game of the season, and, and they had enough to get it done on Saturday. Let's uh, let's continue on here, so to speak, throughout the second half. And um, K State goes three and out after Oklahoma goes and scores a touchdown to make it a to make it a ten point game, and then uh, Oklahoma comes back another you know methodical drive right down the field. Now they've got a 17-point lead. K-State answers with a touchdown, a quick drive. Big play on that drive, of course, Skylar Thompson finding Keenan Garber for 50 yards. You know, Keenan Garber's a guy we've talked a little bit about here on the short side option is a guy that's, you know, at the wide receiver position, there seems to be kind of, you know, a little bit of, uh, of jockeying for position, jockeying for playing time, when it comes to maybe the third wide receiver. You feel like Malik Knowles is going to be out there most of the times. Phillip Brooks is going to be out there most times. 
but for Keenan Garber to kind of show out and, and have a have a big time impact play, uh, you know, with a fifty yard pass reception, that was a much you know uh, appreciated and much welcome sign for K State fans. Yeah, and Keenan Garber, he he kind of gives you that second element. Yeah, uh, where aside from Malik Knowles, teams didn't really have to worry about these uh, other K State wide receivers kind of beating them over the top, and Malik Knowles. Uh, hasn't really been able to do that too much this season. I think he had a big catch against South Dakota uh, deep in one of Thompson's first drives. But otherwise, uh, pretty easy for the secondary to keep a lot of these K-State wide receivers in front of them. But Keenan Garber, he's a speed merchant, man. Um, yeah, he, and, and like and like we've mentioned, and I know you are, are kind of alluding to it now, he does give K-State that, that deep threat that's you know, quite frankly, they haven't had outside of Malik Knowles. So, exactly, and, you know. and having that capability gives this offense such, um, just, it, it opens up so much, just because it's another guy to really punish defenses off play action, um, where, you know. Well, that was a play action pass right on first down. Exactly. Great call, I thought, to say, you know, we need to get a little, have an explosive play here, uh, dialing it up, mess with a, with a great, great call there. Yeah, and that's just another benefit of having such an electric guy in the backfield like Deuce Vaughn. And, you know, when when you have these pieces, and especially um, someone like Deuce Vaughn, you can really see th- how uh, they build off each other. Um, you know, that play's available because Thompson um, can get the ball there and not and be comfortable enough in the pocket to run a play action and, and see a wide receiver. It also works because you have a great tailback induced Vaughn, which is getting a lot of attention, and then Keenan Garber obviously has to have the speed to get it done. And, and without all three of those things, uh, a play like that doesn't happen. And so yep. that's it, offensive line protected there too. And exactly. It was, it was and, and so really the, well uh, done. the synergy when you have Thompson and, and somebody like uh, Keenan Garber out there who can punish these teams, and then of course the linchpin of K-State's offense uh, you start to understand the synergy and how all these different pieces fit together and make uh, Courtney Messingham's offense go. So K-State grabbing back a little bit of momentum, now down 27-17. And, and here's really the kind of the controversial play of the game and the big play of the game. Uh, K-State goes with a surprise onside kick, recovers it, and they're going to be setting up shop right around midfield uh, to have a chance to make this a one-score game. And, you know, you see the reviews start taking place, and then they come back for, um, you know, the challenge that takes place where Lincoln Riley says, hey, you know, you're not looking at the right thing here. You're not looking at the ball didn't go 10 yards. We need to look for an illegal touching here where uh, the kicker's heel hits the ball after he initially kicks it. And uh, after much review and, and even longer review after, you know, the initial uh, review, it gets overturned, much to the dismay of K-State fans. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, I don't really want to get into a whole of a lot of the ins and the outs of arguing, you know, kind of what, what should have happened there on that call. It, you know, you can argue protocol, which I don't have any desire to really do about what was right with what the referee, with how the referees handled that situation. But it did remind me a little bit going to uh, college basketball with the, their review process. You know, when a play like... The, one of the more easily maybe able to remember co- plays in college basketball here over the last couple of years with review is in that national championship game between Texas Tech and, and uh, Virginia where 
you know, the Virginia player slaps uh, Moretti, and uh, the ball might just go off Moretti's fingertips as it heads out of bounds. You know, for 100 years, that's been called out of bounds, and it's Texas Tech's ball. But when you slow it down enough, you can see that it might trickle off Moretti's fingertips, um, you know, at the last moment. And, uh, you know, in that case, in the basketball game, it goes to Virginia instead of going to Texas Tech. That onside kick, 10 years, 20 years ago, that's an onside kick recovered by K-State, and there's no question about it. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you review things like that and you and you, you take it to the letter of the law, yeah, it was probably, I guess, an illegal touching, but kind of a little bit ticky-tacky, a little bit outside of maybe the uh, – the the what you probably expect to see in that situation. Yeah, I mean it was a savvy. I mean truly it was a savvy move by uh, it was. by Lincoln Riley yeah, it was. to to get to uh, just get that call. Um, yeah. You know we could talk about procedure or not, but his eagle eye or whoever's eagle eye to catch the heel kick, um, heel touch rather, uh, was pretty savvy, and they got the call right per the rules. And so it's like, what are you going to complain about? I mean, yeah. Um, and so it would have been a lucky play even if we got it. I, I think it was a bold call by Kleiman, but certainly not a bad idea given the time and circumstances. Yep. Well, K-State's defense couldn't get off yeah. the field. and What difference does it make? What, what difference does 40 yards make? They're going to get that back in three plays anyway. Yeah. And so... And um, that's kind of what I thought the thinking was with a lot of what Kleiman did on, on Saturday whether if it's going for fourth down, whether if it's the onside kick, uh, which I thought was really well-timed. Um, gosh, I, I thought he, in terms of his game management, thought he called a really good game, uh, too, with kind of that stuff. I wanted to also, um, you know, mention K-State's able to get a turnover on that drive with the interception. You lose the field position. You lose a little bit of that momentum. But K-State's able to, uh, to rebound in a nice way there, which was, uh, well, I guess really the only real bright spot of the defense on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it felt a little bit like an arm punt, but the defense yeah. did kind of bow up there. Uh, came on a third and 12, so uh, credit to the defense for finding a way to get off the field in that situation. You know, and then another play that goes the way of the Sooners here on, on a fourth and 14, which I thought K-State would probably punt on. They send the offense back out there, and uh, Skylar Thompson rolls out to his right, is able to find Landry Weber uh, streaking across the field, and and he makes a great effort on, on the play. And, you know, could have been maybe held up uh, potentially on some other reviews. I've seen things that I've maybe thought were far more egregious non-catches uh, get held up, but that one gets uh, overturned for K-State, and... Uh, you know, that really kind of takes the wind out of the sails here in terms of where K-State's really having a chance to win this game. Yeah, I mean, well, truly, it was an amazing effort by Lee Yeah, Weber. it was. It was a great, uh, great, I, uh, great throw and great catch, but that call, That just, call could have stood. It could have gone... I mean, that's one of those where, when I was watching the review, I thought, I bet they overturned this. But it wouldn't have shocked me if... They no, let it stand. No, I, I wouldn't have been shocked either way. Um, but how about Landry Weber, too? Yeah, talk I thought about another guy. Really nice game. Uh, we talked about Keenan Garber earlier, but Landry Weber certainly had the best game of his career so sure. far. Uh, you know, and really being kind of a dynamic guy in space. Because yeah, those, exactly. Because I think that showed K State fans an element of his game that. 
people didn't really know about or, or even expect because he was out there putting moves on guys and getting quite a few yards after catch yep. uh, that are just total bonus yards. Absolutely. Uh, but he was making some of those OU defenders look foolish out there. And so... Um, had a couple nice... Real, had two really nice catch and runs, uh, you know, where he was able to pick up between those two runs probably an extra 30 yards of, of uh, you know, of just bonus yardage on yards after catch. So... Really had to like what you saw out of him, uh, you know, in terms of what that brings to the K-State wide receiving room. You feel a little bit better about it, but I think really that all comes back to number seven back there throwing the ball more well, than anything. Oh, that's right. Don't forget that uh, Chabaston Taylor is probably going to be back by Iowa State, I would think. You and know, that's, a, that's another guy who's got yeah. a lot of passes for K-State and will uh, should elevate the position a little bit here in the second half of the season. Well, we certainly hope so. And, you know, K-State, uh, they they kind of add one here uh, a little bit later. Oklahoma uh, puts the game kind of, you know, to a 13-point to a game, which may be of interest to some. <laughs> uh, at, with a late Gabe Burkich uh, field goal, a little unsportsmanlike conduct on the Sooners, uh, backs them up an extra 15 yards on the kickoff, and, Malik Knowles uh, runs it back for a touchdown to give K-State one final opportunity. Uh, the onside kick is recovered by Oklahoma, and uh, they're effectively able to run the clock out, and, and that's that here for K-State. But, uh, you know, K-State, really a game effort here, I thought, uh, you know, as we run through this. Offensively, you couldn't ask for a whole lot more out of this team. Defensively, I think the questions uh, are getting amplified here by the week. Absolutely. I mean, offensively, like you said, there, there's just not really much you can complain about on Saturday. The, the offensive line uh, not quite getting it done uh, on the running game. But uh, like we said, Oklahoma was devoting quite a bit of attention to that in case it was able to punish them in other ways. But, boy, the defense. Um, you know, I... I K-State's really had a tough time these last two games getting off the field with defense. And really, the first half of the Oklahoma State game. Uh, but against Oklahoma, it was pretty much wire to wire. Uh, the defense was pretty lost, um, you know, in, in both respects, in both the running game and the pass game. Uh, K-State gives up 130 yards to the Sooners. Kennedy Brooks, 15 carries for 91 yards. That's a pretty good day at the office. Spencer Radler was uh, getting it done on the ground, too. Uh, he had 24 yards, uh, but some of those were decent chunk plays. And really, the problem, the most glaring issue for the K-State defense, I thought, on Saturday was the inability to really uh, get Rattler uh, uncomfortable in the pocket. I mean, we saw last year in Oklahoma in the Oklahoma game, uh, Duke Shelley, or Duke Shelley, Khalid Duke, uh, really had his breakout yeah. performance really there in the third quarter where he seemed like he was just taking the game over and, and Oklahoma didn't really have an answer for him. But nobody on Saturday was really having much success getting to the quarterback. K-State would bring pressure sometimes, not often enough, I don't think, uh, but nobody was able to really get home and punish too, punish Rattler too much in the pocket. Uh, one player in particular uh, I recall Hennington kind of coming off yeah. the side, had a free shot whipped. at him, and just went. And you know, not only he he let him get outside is really the the big problem there. If you know, if he comes, maybe it takes a little bit of a wider angle and gets broken down a little bit more. He can 
keep him in the pocket a little bit better. But with that, he had a free shot, like you said. I mean, you got to get him down. You just got to break down and make sure you contain him. Yeah. Uh, but so K State's got some serious problems, and I think um, with Boom Massey going down, yeah. that, that's just going to compound things because now uh, we have we're getting into our second string guys at, at both the end spots, and so. Uh, people like Spencer Trussell, uh, Jalen Pickle, Nate Matlack, some of these guys who aren't quite as dynamic as, as Duke and as sure-handed as Massey's been over the last couple of years, asking some of these second guys to step up is, is a big ask. For, you know, and when we talk about the linebackers too, uh, Fletcher and Green had uh, another game where I thought neither were very impressive, um, especially in pass coverage. And this is kind of the problem we were talking about before the season is is those guys out there in space, uh, the 3-3-5 defense doesn't really cover that up for them, uh, at least not not enough, um, because I thought those guys were getting punished too. And uh, and it seems like tackling is just a defensive-wide yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, because Secondary is not making tackles. I know Fletcher overran – Two plays that come to mind, and, and not only just overran them, but also had a chance to make the tackle and failed to do so there, too. You know, this was a concern of ours going into the season was the linebackers. And, you know, through the first three games, we felt pretty good about what we saw. Right. The last well, two I, games have, have uh, leaved a lot to be desired. And I was thinking about that. Like, why did our de- why weren't these tackling issues there during Stanford, Nevada, and in, in really South Dakota? Or, uh, yeah, so, or Southern Illinois. Yeah, I Southern said South Illinois. Dakota earlier. No, you're fine. Uh, but Southern Illinois. Um, and I think the difference is that K-State's defense was just more athletic than those te- than those offenses they were facing. Uh, at, at least um, for, for the most part. I, I think that K-State was able to really swarm and gang tackle a lot in those situations and just fly to the ball a little yeah. bit easier. But going up against some of these faster and, frankly, more athletic Big 12 offenses... Uh, defensive players are being forced to make more one-on-one plays, and so their uh, their poor tackling is getting exploited a little bit more just because there's only one of them there. They don't have the the luxury of having two or three guys yeah. surrounding the ball carrier. And so uh, the tackling issue, man, that seems like it's been a staple um, of the climate era. Is Every year it seems like uh, we just find ourselves really frustrated at the really – shocking um, lack of tackling. And it's uh, rearing its ugly head here again in 2021. And I don't know why that is. I don't know whether it's a technique thing, but guys are in position to make the plays. Um, they're, they're just not getting it done. And so that's uh, something to keep an eye on as we move forward because it's going to be hard for K-State to just outpace every team in the Big 12 because there's some decent offenses here in the yep, Big 12. there sure are. Um and asking this K-State offense to have that kind of a performance that we saw on Saturday every week, pretty tough ask. And so the defense is going to have to carry its water and be um, at least average, which is asking a lot more than they showed on Saturday uh, if K-State wants to have a season they can be proud of. You know, and when we were going through kind of the game review, you know, I really wanted to kind of talk about the offense there because in this last part here, while we look at Oklahoma in, in before we – kind of move on to some other topics, wanted to focus on the defense. I mean, I think what you just said pretty much sums it up. I don't think there's really much more that I need to add in terms of what uh, 
this K-State defense is lacking right now, and that's really just tackling space. Uh, tougher said than maybe maybe done, I, I think that's fair to say, but you know, this defense had had shown that ability to kind of swarm to the ball. You're not seeing that as much. Maybe you make things a little bit simpler uh, from a from a schematic standpoint to, to be able to have more guys flow to the ball. But really, I mean, when you're there, you got to make the tackle. There's no scheme that can that can uh, alleviate that issue. And K State's going to have themselves a really tough test uh, with Brees Hall and, and Brock Purdy and, and Iowa State coming into town next week. And for me, if K State's going to have much of a chance to win that game, tackling's got to be a whole lot better. Yeah, I mean, and I think that starts. Well, you know. We, we talked after the out-of-conference that really all three levels were playing great. Felix yeah. and Duke were getting home. Linebackers looked like they were taking care of business, and the secondary was uh, putting up some good performances too. But now, on the other, after all this, it's like, where do you start? Yeah. Because uh, it's, you know. Injuries have, have played a big part in that, and that's why I, when I alluded to, I think the bye week comes at a, at a good time. Looks like Boone Massey's probably going to be out for that Iowa State game. Um Duke's out for Duke, the year. Duke's out for the year. He's not coming back. But getting guys maybe a little bit of a week off their feet in terms of uh, in terms of um, you know game action, you know maybe you can find ways to get maybe some of these guys that are you know second and third string that are now being you know kind of pressed into more game action. Find ways to get them a little bit more comfortable. But you know right now it, it's it's a bit of a uh, little bit of a mash room here on the K State defensive side of the ball with a lot of injuries. Yeah, and so uh, I, I don't know exactly what the answer is um, other than guys just have to make the plays when they're in the position to make them. But uh, certainly a concern uh, after the first two games. But, you know, Oklahoma's offense is pretty darn good. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we we talked about it last week. that They kind of underperformed in their first part of the season so far. Uh, but it's a... Talented offense. There, there's no, no denying that. No question. Now, the Oklahoma State game, we talked about the issues in the first half there. Um, but a lot of that got sealed up in the second half. And whether that was Gundy taking his foot off the gas, I don't really think there's much of an argument to be made that he did really take his foot off the gas that much. But K-State's defense certainly played better in the second half of that game. And so you start to wonder a little bit, well, maybe things aren't quite as bad as they seem. Um, really, it's been... Three halves of bad. Three out of the last four halves the defense has had has, have been pretty darn bad. Uh, but two, two third, two of those halves came against a really good offense too. Yeah. So it, it may not be quite as bad as things look on Saturday, and the K State defense might be able to pick it up a little bit and have a slightly uh, easier time with these offenses moving forward. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on here as we. We look ahead towards Iowa State, and we look ahead towards uh, not only just Iowa State, but the rest of the uh, conference schedule here. So, D'Lo, is there anything else you kind of want to mention here about the OU game before we wrap it up? No, not really. Um, other than, uh, like you talked about earlier, the fourth downs. Um, yeah. Boy, really aggressive stuff there from Kleinman. Um, that, that, the one that we threw the incompletion to, uh, to Weber after his great effort trying to reel that one in, that was the one maybe I could could disagree, but then when you look back at it, you have to kind of look at time and score there and say we're down two scores. You know this K State offense, and even later on in that game, uh, they weren't moving it at warp speed by any any stretch of the imagination. Um, 
it just seemed like there just wasn't quite enough possessions. So at that point, you probably do have to go for it. And, uh, you know, great individual effort by, by Thompson to get to roll out and get the ball uh, to where Weber has a chance there. Would have been a really great catch and, you know, quite frankly, could have, could have gone that way. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, ball doesn't bounce K-State's way, and you can kind of say that was almost the, the story of the game in a lot of ways. The, the onside kick... The Landry Weber, um, the Landry Weber uh, drop pass uh, on that fourth down, and then of course the Jacardi Wright fumble uh, on the first drive of the game. Not only did he fumble it uh, inside the red zone, but uh, bounced right to an Oklahoma player who kept his feet and returned and, it about eighty yards. Yeah, returns it inside the twenty. So goes against K State uh, that way, but you know still I think there are some positive things to take out from the offensive perspective. Uh, defensive perspective, whole lot of question marks uh, on that side of the ball. So let's um, let's kind of wrap it up here uh, with with this here uh, before we get into uh, our Wildcat Legend and Ask the Icon segment. We're here at the bye week already. We're five games in here to this K State schedule. Um, big one coming up against Iowa State. You know, we both thought K State would be. Uh, right around here, I had us at three and two. You had us at four and one, uh, with a loss to uh, Oak or with a loss to Oklahoma. You had us beat Oklahoma State. I had us drop at the first two. You know where do you feel about uh, K State here as we head things into the bye? You know it's been a roller coaster of the first five games. Um, it seems it's hard to believe that it's only been five games because so much has happened um, in that stretch. But uh, you know I think. Uh, Really, now is probably the the team looks the closest to what I expected it to look like coming into the year. Uh, yeah. Coming into the year, we thought, boy, this offense is going to be really darn good. Uh, the defense is going to have major some serious issues. Yeah, well, it, we thought the defense was going to be a question mark, of course, going into the season. With the injuries that they've sustained, they've probably maybe become more of a question mark than maybe we we thought they might be. Uh, I, I don't know if that's maybe fair to say. Uh, but this offense has shown some flashes here, especially against Oklahoma here last week. But if Skylar Thompson's able to stay healthy, I think K-State's going to be able to find themselves in every game. Uh, Iowa State brings in a very talented defense, one of the best defenses in the conference, one of the best defenses in the country in terms of yards uh, per game. And, uh, you know, this week off I think comes at a good time where, where we're able to reassess uh, what we want to do offensively. Also get some guys healthy and, and hope to uh, to hope to put a better uh, defensive performance on the field on Saturday against Iowa State. Yeah, um, and so I I think that uh, it'll be an interesting matchup. I think K State coming into the year thought, well, I thought this Iowa State was going to be uh, this Iowa State game was going to be a tougher challenge uh, than how I feel about it now, just because some of the shine's been taken off the Cyclones here uh, with them sitting at three and two through five games. Um, but, no, I mean, I think that uh, it's about, like I said, it's kind of what we thought it was going to look like coming into the year. Uh, after, you know, the South Dakota game, we're thinking, okay, the defense is a lot better than expected, but with Skylar Thompson out, this offense uh, is going to have some serious issues. And now it seems like it's been flipped on its head and, and where the defense looks like the real problem and the offense looks like it's going to be humming right along here as we continue through the season. And so, it, it generally these things, it's 
probably a little bit of both. Offense probably isn't going to be as good as it looked on Saturday. The defense probably isn't going to be yeah, quite as bad as it looked that's on Saturday. That's probably fair to say. And so uh, it's just going to come down to really uh, whether K-State can uh, improve on defense and, and stay healthy and make sure, for the love of God, Skylar Thompson stays healthy. Um, and if all that happens, I see no reason why K-State can't get back to uh, – in the range of seven or eight wins like we all uh, were kind of hoping for coming into the year. You know, you mentioned Iowa State being 3-2, and two, losses to Iowa and uh, to Baylor. You know, a lot of talk about Iowa State coming into the season as a, as a you know preseason top 10 team, maybe a dark horse for the college football playoff. That has gone by the wayside, but really, you look at this, Iowa State team, they've got everything still in front of them in terms of playing for a conference title. Same goes for K-State, really. I mean, now, granted, K-State's probably going to have to win out, and I'm not saying that they're going to do that. But uh, you talk about a matchup of of teams that uh, have expectations for themselves here. Uh, This 3-2 matchup uh, with both K-State and Iowa State coming into that to uh, next Saturday uh, in Manhattan feels like a big game for really both teams here. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's huge. truly an elimination game uh, for Arlington, I feel like. Uh, I don't think either team uh, is going to f- feel too good about their chances if they drop this game. Um, Iowa State, of course, still has to play Oklahoma, Texas, and Yeah, their, their schedule was very front, or very right. backloaded, rather. It's kind of a soft front uh, part of that conference schedule. In case State starts out 0-3 uh, in the conference, then we can kind of kiss that level of success potential success goodbye and and we'll just be jockeying for bowl games and and bowl eligibility really yeah um but so i agree it's a huge game um and really you know we'll talk more about this next week but a pivotal game this feels like a big game for the chris Kleiman program i was just about to say that um where you know this is a team that we recruit against year in year out this team that recruits in kansas city um, Matt Campbell, of course. We uh, recruit in Iowa. Right, know, yeah. And so, uh, you know, K-State got the better of, of Iowa State last time this game was played in Manhattan. Uh, of course, Iowa State comes out and just beats the brakes off K-State last year uh, in one of the worst K-State performances I can remember. Yeah. Um, or at least most one-sided I can remember maybe since that Oklahoma game where they uh, oh, 55 yeah. to nothing or something like that. Yeah. But... Uh, 45 to nothing last year names certainly hurt as well. And so I think it's important for K-State to bounce back and, and show some fight and show that Iowa State really hasn't elevated to a tier above K-State, you know, from the 10,000-foot general program-wide view. Um, maybe that's putting too much on a single game. But from a fan perspective, it certainly feels like uh, K-State really should get this one uh, just to uh, stay on more or less of an even footing with Iowa State, not uh, stepping back in terms of prestige. You know, I I think that's a great point, and I know that's something we'll cover more next week. But uh, lots of lots of fun matchups to look forward to uh, next week in the Big Twelve, as well as this week in the Big Twelve. Uh, we'll get to uh, all that here in due time. So, uh, folks, that'll do it here for kind of the Oklahoma review. Uh, we'll be back after a short break to highlight another in the long line of Wildcat legends and to answer your questions in our Ask the Icon segment. Join us after a break.
All right, folks, we are back here on the Short Side Option Podcast. Nice to have you with us, as always. And uh, before we get into Wildcat Legend Ask the Icon, I wanted to uh, first uh, give another shout-out to our friends over there at Manhattan Brewing Company again. Uh, In addition to all the great beer and atmosphere that they have over at Manhattan Brewing Company, they also have a bunch of different fun events going on throughout the week. I just uh, was looking through... Uh, their Instagram page, which uh, you can follow them at Manhattan Brew on Instagram, and of course on Twitter at uh, Manhattan Brew, uh, Manhattan Brewing on Instagram, rather, excuse me. And I noticed on Instagram they are going to be having a Bob's Burgers trivia contest huh. uh, here uh, tomorrow. Uh, so Thursday, if you're in Manhattan, uh, sneak on down to Manhattan Brewing Company and give that a look. Uh, but you can follow them, like I said, on Instagram, Manhattan Brewing, and on Twitter, at Manhattan Brew. Uh, so you can stay up to date on all of the different upcoming events uh, that they have going on over there. Um, also, be sure to check out their website, www.mhkbeer.com. There is another place you can keep up with all the events they have going on. You can also purchase items through their store, such as all sorts of merchandise, t-shirts, and hats, as well as tickets to upcoming events like Yoga at the Brewery, on October 23rd, and Pumpkins and Pints on October 24th. Be sure to visit their website for more information on all of these exciting upcoming events. So, Dilo, I toss it over to you, my man. It's well, time for Wildcat Legend. Yeah, I come, we're going to get into a segment uh, here at the Short Side Option that we call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And I come, this week's Wildcat Legend hails from Holton High School. Familiar with Holton High School? I'm actually very familiar with Holton High School. You know who the coach is right there right now? Uh, or at least was in during this Wildcat Legends performance? You know, I think it was Gary Barta. And Brooks Barta. Brooks Barta. Brooks, Gary Barta is like a, he's the athletic director at Iowa, I believe. <laughs> well, close. Yeah, yeah. Holton, Iowa. I get very, Holton and Iowa. I get a, you know, so. when you've, you, your brain gets scrambled and you're watching all this all 22 all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know? Just have another cup of coffee there. I, I need one. I need one. Well, this Wildcat Legend played at Holton High School under head coach Brooks Barda. Brooks Barda. Who is, of course, a former Kansas State linebacker. Uh, he had a host of accolades in high school. He was in the uh, Kansas 4A Defensive Player of the Year. He was uh, on the Eagle and the Capital Journal's top 11 team. Uh, he... Uh, led the Holton Wildcats to a 2012 Kansas 4A state champ. He was a first-team All-Kansas 4A performer. Uh, he was chosen to play in the 2013 Kansas Shrine Bowl. Doing anything for you? I think I've got it. Well, before you guess, I'll uh, I'll list some more of his high school accolades. Oh, sure, please. Uh, he helped Holton reach three consecutive league titles. Uh, he was also a three-year letterman for the Holton basketball team. Oh, a little dual sport. Yeah, he was an all-league and all-county pick at guard. You like that clue? I at guard. That helps things out a little bit. And finally, uh, is a uh, is a high schooler here in a 4.0 GPA and graduated summa cum laude. And uh, he was born November 19th, 1994. Okay. Who am I talking about? You gotta be talking about Trent Tanking. I'm absolutely talking about Trent Tanking, the son of Andrew and Carla Tanking, the brother of Trey, Shea, and Sadie, the industrial engineer. Trent Tanking was a walk-on at K State, 
He uh, was really a staple in K-State special teams units the first three years. He was. He absolutely was. He, uh, of course, redshirted in 2013. Uh, but in 2014, as a redshirt freshman, he, he saw action in all 13 of K-State's games and uh, recorded nine tackles, which as a special teamer is pretty darn impressive. Um, all those tackles came on kickoff coverage, and he had two in uh, one game, actually. Um, two tackles for a loss in that Oklahoma State game back in 2014. The next season, uh, he saw time in eight contests, totaling seven special teams tackles. Um, had two tackles against West Virginia, and also in the Liberty Bowl, that uh, that rough Liberty Bowl yeah, game against Arkansas. One. That was a tough one. Um, 2016, again, mostly on special teams. Had uh, 12 special teams tackles. Nine of those came on kickoff coverage. Uh, but he also intercepted a pass uh, that year in 2016, his redshirt junior season, against Texas Christian University. Uh, and he had four tackles against Florida Atlantic. But 2017 is really where he uh, he shined. Um, and just the prototypical guy, really the Snyder staples, guys that just put in four years and then his redshirt senior uh, really become contributors as as really grown a grown man. Uh, 2017, he started all 13 games at linebacker. Uh, had 97 tackles that year. Uh, three and a half of those were for a loss. He had four pass breakups and a forced fumble. Uh, that 97 tackles was good enough for 10th in the Big 12 that season. He had five double-digit tackle games, including 13 against TCU in 2017. He recorded nine tackles in two other games. Um... He was a team captain for the 2017 year. Uh, he was uh, an academic Heisman. Um, he was a semifinalist uh, for the Burlesworth Bur- Yeah, the Burlesworth Trophy. Trophy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about what the Burlesworth Trophy is. Yeah, you know, I'd be happy to. So it, it's a great story, actually. So Brian Burlesworth. Big Brian time. Bosworth? No, Brian Burlesworth. No relation. Okay. Easy to understand how you can get confused, uh, but no relation. He uh, was a a standout uh, offensive lineman for the University of Arkansas in the late '90s, and um, you know a walk on, paid his way uh, to go to Arkansas, uh, came away uh, being a, a high NFL draft pick. I believe a second or third round selection by the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, and then on a way on a uh, after a weekend back in Fayetteville, he was driving back home to his to his home in Arkansas, and uh, was tragically killed uh, in a in a car accident. And I thought uh, you said this is a great story. Well, there's a, there's a happier ending to it here as I get going on, and and uh, but his memory is uh, is captured here with the Burlesworth Burlesworth Trophy and uh, honoring those uh, those folks that kind of. Uh, you know, start out as walk-ons and uh, really capture uh, the spirit of, of that. So, uh, uh, you know, being a Burlesworth semifinalist back in 27 for Trent tanking, uh, a great honor and uh, a really um, prestigious one at that. Well, thank you for taking a uh, talking a little bit about uh, oh, absolutely, Burlesworth. But uh, there's a movie that kind of talks about his life too, and I, I've seen it here. It came out somewhat relatively recently, but it's a it's a heartwarmer. 
But uh, that year, he was also able to get honorable mention All-Big 12, according to the coaches. He was third-team All-Big 12, according to Phil Steele in 2017. And uh, 2014, 2016, and 2017, he was first-team academic All-Big 12. Uh, of course, I mentioned he was an industrial engineer. So, drink tanking, just a real yeah. prototypical nose-to-the-grindstone, puts in the work over four years, and by the end of it, uh, turned into a pretty darn good football player. Also getting it done in the classroom. And it's for all of those reasons that Trent Tanking is this week's Wildcat legend. And Icon, uh, we're going to go ahead and move into our final segment on the show. A segment that we call Ask the Icon. Where listeners can submit their questions to the short side options. Very young Chris the Icon Sork. Uh, and he'll he'll give you his answer. Right, I'll give it right to Right here you. on this very show. Absolutely. Um, that's what I'm here for. That's what he does. He spends... I, do, I, I, do I take a lot of enjoyment in it? Yeah, I do. Yeah, but you, you bet but, he does. But more than anything, I'm here to answer our listeners' questions. Yeah, he's here to exactly inform. What I do here in the Ask the Icon he, segment. He spends about 95% of his week um, uh, watching the All-22. Yeah. He spends about 4% of it chugging coffee. Or rather, refilling coffee. Yeah, oh, no question, my man. And then about 1% of it here answering listener questions. And... Listeners can submit their questions to the short side option via Twitter uh, by submitting them to our Twitter account, which is at TSSO underscore podcast, or of course, using the hashtag AskTheIcon. And one of these days, I'm just positive that that hashtag is going to be trending there on Twitter. Oh, I, I look for it. it. It gets close to trending worldwide, but, you know, the bots, they talk about other things, you know. Yeah. yeah. Sad. It's, it's very sad. Very bad, too. Um, or you can... Uh, uh, when Icon is sleeping at night, sneak into his bedroom, get a tattoo gun, tattoo it on his chest backwards. Yeah, please do backwards, folks. So when he goes and takes a shower, oh, I have a question here. He, he could see it in the mirror and say, oh, listener at KSU Funny 33 wants to know uh, who, what my favorite Wildcat secondary player is. That that's a that's a great way to go about it. Folks. Not unlike the movie Memento, which is a great movie. Um, Have I ever told you about Sammy Jenkins? <laughs> Guy Pierce, one of his uh, one of his better roles. Um, in any event, we'll get we'll get right into the listener questions. Our first question this week comes from listener KSU underscore funny thirty three. Hey, there's our guy. Um, he's got a series of you know this is kind of appropriate because uh, he has a series of kind of. Non-sports questions, kind of on the lighter side. Kind of Here in the bye weeks, yeah, kind of goofy questions. Yeah, we like, we, we like time to time. Um, this first question is: Who was the best character on Saved by the Bell, outside of the main characters? Zach, Lisa, Kelly, Slater, Screech, Jesse, and of course, oh, that's a great question. Belding, yeah. And I assume he's talking about Principal Belding, yeah, not his brother Rod Belding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, it's been, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to meet Dennis Haskins. Oh, yeah. He was out at the... T-Bones yeah. about 10 years ago almost now. Gosh, that seems like just yesterday. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, Saved by the Bell is a show that was a little bit before my time. But, of course, with the replays that, that take place on um, on, on TBS throughout, throughout uh, you know, my adolescence, I got... Um, I got a great, uh, you know, tutelage in that. Uh, my sisters were big Saved by the Bell fans. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that wasn't necessarily lost to me. So I, I knew a little bit about the show. 
uh, of course. But you know what? This is maybe not maybe quite in the scope of this question, but this is how I'm going to answer it. One of my favorite characters, and it's a cameo appearance uh, from a celebrity that that p- pipes in, and it's uh, it's Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, he shows up. Yeah, he's a uh... he he helps uh, screech out in uh, one of his projects uh, to get him uh, to get him in there. And I always like how Screech would always refer to Jim Harbaugh's Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah, because like because Screech is trying to imitate uh, or is trying to be like Jim Harbaugh for a um, for a class project, if I remember correctly. And so Screech comes in 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 you know uniform and. Um, and, uh, you know, the whole get-up, uh, he's like, it's me, Jim Harbaugh, quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. But, uh, and then Jim Harbaugh comes in, and he, uh, he, he does a great job there. Uh, so, D'Lo, I know that you uh, have a real affinity for Saved by the Bell. What, I, I'm curious to hear your, uh, your answer on this one. Yeah, I, gosh, there's a lot. I mean, you know, he, he talks about... Uh, the non-main characters. I don't know if Stacy Caro- really Stacy Carosi's dad, um, counts. That's of course during the episodes when they went to Malibu Sands and were out on the beach um, during the summertime. They don't really follow the cast of Bayside too much during the summertime, except when they go to Malibu Sands. Um, I like Leon Carosi quite a bit. He uh, he's kind of an old curmudgeon who really likes money. Uh, kind of like, you know, he's not too different than Mr. Krabs from Spongebob. Yeah. Um, but uh, Leon Carosi, obviously one of my uh, role models. Um, in, in terms of the students, I I like Maxwell Nerdstrom a lot. If you remember, this is mm, one yeah. of the nerds who shows up. He's Violet's boyfriend. Uh, I believe he wins Screech's dog in a game of poker. Um, High stakes game there. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, that's a, I think that's a two episode um, issue. You know, maybe but, the folks at Manhattan Brewing Company, maybe that we can have a Saved by the Bell trip. I would, here I would be things, really, huh? I'd be really. Maybe there's there. a thought for it. Uh, but no, I'm a, I'm a big Saved by the Bell head. Uh, TBS weekday mornings. Oh it's, yeah, it's from six to eight. It's just we're back in Bayside, um, or back in the Max, baby. We're we're back in California or Indiana. Depending on whether we're talking about Good Morning Miss Bliss or uh, the true Save by the Bell when they're at Bayside High School. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I could have gone really off the radar and said, you know, I like Mikey. Uh, Zach's, <laughs> well, that's from when he's in elementary, when they're all in junior high, rather. Uh, before. What was the, before what was Slater the character? What was the character that it was, I want to say, uh, Principal Belding's. Um, niece she's kind of a nerd she like zach gets the tension on like a saturday detention and he kind of bribes mr belding to say like hey i know you're you want me to take your your niece out can you get rid of saturday detention and i'll take her out and then he's like i don't want to take her out and he has screech uh kind of stand in for him i can't i i i i, wish, I, I, I do not remember her okay i can't remember but she, yeah and Mr. Belding, you know his uh, his his family shows up quite a bit. Yeah. Zach delivers his baby. Yeah, how, who could forget in an elevator? Yeah, which I don't know how you come back from that. Your arch rival and also you know seventeen year old is delivering. Your, yeah, in delivering your wife, or 
wife's baby in an elevator. That's kind of remarkable stuff there from <laughs> yeah, Zach. That's amazing. Uh, but anyway, love Saved by the Bell. It's a great question, KSU Funny. Uh, good job there. His next question uh, comes about a show I'm not quite as familiar with, uh, which is who is the best Ninja Turtle and why? You know, not familiar either. Uh, I'm going to have to say Michelangelo because I like the name the best. Yeah, I, uh, I like Donatello because Emo, purple baby. Uh, very, very good point. And then he says, which trilogy is the best? Trilogy. Now, I'm going to go a little bit off the radar here. Not maybe super far off the radar. Actually, I'm just changing. I have a, I have a quick, sudden change of heart. Okay. Oceans 11, 12, and 13. Wow. Because, here's why. I was thinking originally Star Wars, but those are a little too... I'm not really super into that anymore. But uh, then I was thinking the Bourne trilogy. I was very into the Jason Bourne movies. But for me, it's Oceans 11, 12, and 13. Oceans 11, my favorite movie of all time. Oceans 12, eh, falls a little short. Oceans 13, redeeming quality. And then, uh, you know, there was uh, the all-women version of Ocean's 8. That kind of fell a little bit short for me. They killed off Danny Ocean for no reason. Why, why, why are we killing off Danny? I, I, I didn't like that part. That was, that was a, a cruel twist to what I thought uh, was, was kind of the, the linchpin of the series, of course, with, uh, with Danny Ocean. But uh, I'm going to go Ocean's, Ocean's uh, you know, trilogy, Ocean's 11, 12, and 13. I love it. It's a, it's a good job by you. It, it, actually, let me back that up. Ocean's 11, 12, and 13. <laughs> Thank you, Stan. There we go. I, I, I need to get that in there. Um, we, should, we should have found a way to work it in, talking about Landry. Um, our next question comes from a listener. There will be more opportunities. BTC, I like it. BTC, at BeantownCat22, he asks, Mr. Icon, what's on the agenda for Saturday with the bye week? Pumpkin patch? Or apple picking with the missus, perhaps? Love Beantown Cat. You know, that is a great question. I, I'm not quite sure what is uh, on the uh, the calendar for for Saturday. Unfortunately, no playoff baseball for the Yankees uh, after their disappointing 6-2 loss to the, uh, the rival Red Sox on Tuesday night. So, unfortunately, my schedule is pretty open. I'll, I'll find my way to get in front of the TV, though, to watch a little college football throughout the day. There's some good games on. Uh, Iowa going to uh, to Happy Valley to take on an undefeated Penn State team. You know, I just want to go off on a little bit of a side here. I think it's absolutely criminal, absolutely criminal, that game day is not at Iowa and Penn State. This is a top five matchup. Where are they? They're the Red River rivalry game this oh, week. Yeah. And you know what that's going to be? Is it's going to be a two three hour infomercial? Talking about how OU and Texas, this could be the last time they meet as Big 12 conference foes before heading to the SEC. I cannot, I will not watch a moment of that. I, it makes my skin curl, and it makes me want to puke. This is Mike Gundy. <laughs> makes me want to puke. Garbage. Garbage. Um, boy, I like that fire. Um, it does, and, I, and that's not that's not tongue in cheek. That does absolutely make me want to puke. I will not be watching a second of that garbage that they put on ESPN. I take the Iowa Penn State game. Oh, it's on Fox. So that's yeah. why you know they they aren't gonna you know do that. I guess, but it's a it's an absolute. They've gone to CBS game. games before. They've done CBS games plenty of times. 
Uh, yeah, it's a joke. Um, I don't care about the Red River. I hope... Nah, I, I just don't care. I won't watch. Um, our next question, I'm going clothes shopping. Did I say that already? You're going clothes shopping. I'm going what shopping you, what for, you, for, I need for I need new jeans. Um, you know, I can I can get you in touch with the guy that... I think you'd look awful good in Wranglers. Nah, maybe so. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll change the information off air. <laughs> good, I, I've heard of those. Uh, next question comes from listener Trim at Trim Go Ema. He asks, in a hypothetical where Urban Meyer is coaching the Cats, what would be his local bar of choice? Ooh, that's a good question. It's a great question. Herb's a big-time bar guy. Like, he's a big bar guy. He loves the bars. He like, loves going. He loves playing Golden Tee. And you know what I think of? When I think of Urban Meyer, I think of the biggest bar in Aggieville. Currently, I think is is probably John Cotts. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, probably I, so. But either that, or I could see him kind of mixing it up there at Kites. Only because light it's up. the number one college, number one college bar, and also as you said, number only light up dance floor in the state of Kansas. Where else would Herb want to find himself? I don't know. If he goes there, he should try the burger. Um, it's the big Kiter. It's you love it. Will Ferrell ate it once. Uh, thank you, Trim. And our final question this week came via. Um, oh yeah i was wondering what that was over there yeah i was out hiking um kind of by the kansas river and i saw a bottle floating and sure enough question from our friend stevesy oh that's that's another great way you can ask the icon folks um he asks uh from what i can tell paper's a little wet yeah that's before we got a little bit more rain here this afternoon too in the area he uh help he asks a series of questions uh, the first of which is, what's the most recent television show that you binged? Most recent television show that I've binged, I haven't finished it yet. But the most recent one that I've watched is Startup on Netflix. Mm. Which came uh, via recommendation uh, of Mr. Delu. Yeah. So, uh, you know, pretty good show. Not it's so not bad. I think I got through about a season and a half of it. Yeah, you know, we've got, uh, the missus and I have another three or four episodes, I want to say. So we're, we're coming to a close there. My character got written off. The guy that I was. I was Agent Rask. Oh. Well, well I shouldn't maybe have said that because that kind of spoils things. But It's been out long enough. But Agent Rask is kind of my guy. Yeah, in that show. You are kind of like Agent Rask. I'm, I'm Agent Rask. Yeah, I, I'm, I am. Um, the second question is, oh, by the way, Love on the Spectrum for me. Oh, I love that show. Um, Steve's the second question is, if Chris Kleinman accepted another job at the end of the season, would you take Urban Meyer as head coach? Hundred percent, easily. Most definitely. I mean, I, I would take him now. If Kleinman, you know. If Herb says, hey, I want to come coach at Kansas State. I want to follow. In the footsteps of the legend. In the footsteps of the legend. I'd say, by all means. Here's the keys. Here here are the keys, my man. Yeah. Duh. It's a no-brainer. Absolutely. Um, And finally, our last question uh, from Steve and our last question of the week is which, and I like this question, which former K-State player that isn't currently coaching at the college level do you think would make the best head coach? That isn't coaching at the college level. Yeah. And, uh, you know, best head coach is kind of hard. Uh, when I first read it, I thought he meant best coach because that's been kind of the topic. Yeah. You see people think, yeah. oh, Jordy should come back and coach. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Darius really is yeah. in town. And, and so you kind of see these names. 
But so, if you want to answer best head coach, uh, feel free. But if, but I think uh, in terms of somebody that isn't currently a coach that would probably I think make a pretty darn good head or pretty darn good coach. I have a I have a name in mind. Go ahead. I'll, I'm curious to hear yours. I think Kevin Lockett. Yeah. Um, he's a guy. He's got obviously got connections to Oklahoma. Uh, he's a familiar name in Kansas City. Sure. Um, played for the Chiefs. And not for nothing, but Tyler Lockett was pretty darn good. And yeah. I imagine that isn't that a lot of that was probably due to him and dad working on route trees um, in high school. And uh, he also has uh, Sterling, who will be at K State next year, too. Um, so I think Kevin Lockett makes a lot of sense just because um, I think he's pretty good head on his shoulders. Uh, He's been around the block a few times. I think he's developed his kids pretty well. Um, and I think he's got kind of the reputation uh, to recruit as well. You know, that's a that's a really good one. You know what I'm going to go with is, is somebody that, you know, kind of has maybe a little bit, I mean, not maybe the same cachet as the name of, of Kevin Lockett, and really nowhere near that, but was a really good player for K-State, played a little bit in the NFL as well, and uh, has some good local ties and is not in coaching either, is Tyson Hartman. Uh, a guy that, uh, you know, played for, uh, I believe also played for Prince, I want to say, maybe at the very beginning. Like, he, I don't think he played, really, but he was there when Prince was there. I can't quite recall on that for sure. Was he recruited as a quarterback? Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was recruited as a quarterback. Uh, then, of course, obviously transitioned to safety. Another guy that I was thinking about, too, from the safety position, you know, that's kind of the quarterback of the defense back there a little bit. So. I, I always call it the quarterback of the defense. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I rarely use the term safety. I just <laughs> call it quarterback. quarterback of the defense. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Another guy, Ty Zimmerman. Yeah. His, his dad over in nearby Junction City was a long-tenured uh, coach for the Blue Jays over there, and they had a lot of great success. Coaching's in the blood uh, in the Zimmerman family. He might be another good uh, choice. You know another guy, another safety, John McGraw. Yeah. How about him? Another huh? quarterback, yeah. Another quarterback of the court. Another quarterback back yeah. there. You know when I look at the offensive side of the ball, I, you know you obviously you go to the quarterback side uh, there as well. You maybe think Jake Waters, uh, but he's currently coaching on the staff at Iowa State. Yeah, I, you know, Armageddon, yeah. no love lost. Yeah, that's a guy who he's been drinking the Iowa State Kool Aid even before he was coaching there. I mean, well, you know, and Iowa State sure could have used a quarterback like him, couldn't they have? Yeah. You think Probably that they, so. may, they may have wanted to take the lifelong Iowa State fan or, you know. A guy, between, right? He was at Iowa Western, too, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, right in their backyard. And uh, skate between K-State and Penn State for, for Jake Water service. And luckily, K-State was able to win out that one. You know, gosh, I'm trying to think of some other guys that, that might, uh, might be a good in terms of, I know a guy that's doing some some football work. I think he's like actually a general manager of like maybe a semi-pro or you know some type of lower level football. Is one of my favorite K State players of all time, and that's Victor Mann. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Big Vic get back here to K State. Uh, you know, getting on uh, getting on the headset and being on the sideline. Yeah, I mean, a lot of good options. I uh, I I think you know in this kind of fantasy world where these guys have any interest in yeah, well, one that they have any interest in coaching uh much less being a head coach uh <laughs> that uh, they'd like to do it a good old ksvu 
Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I thought that was a pretty interesting question, especially because, you know, there's some gripes about certain position coaches and, and, and people you know, always suggest former players. Th- that's always the thing, yeah. Um, always suggest former players. And so, uh, especially ones that had a bunch of NFL success and whether or not that translates to actual well, coaching. Well, you know, you, know. You, look at, you look at what, and, and I'm not super familiar with his track record, you know, after he got done playing, but, you know, you look at Arizona State and what Herm Edwards has done there in the three or four years he's been there. You know, he's got a lot of NFL guys that are up and down that coaching staff. And some guys, the defensive coordinator, uh, Antonio Pierce, former you know defensive captain for the New York Giants. I don't know if he had ever coached before, before getting to Arizona State. And, uh, you know, he's done a pretty good job there. So when you look at all things, uh, you know, when you look at those different things, the, the transition between, you know, being a former player to just getting in and coaching might not be nearly as easy as maybe, you know, some folks might think. Uh, but you always do see that, though, with, with K-State fans saying, oh, Jordy Nelson is back in town this week. You think he'd ever want to be a wide receiver coach? Or, you know, Darren Sproles is back in town. Why not have him be a, a running back coach? You know, it's... Yeah, uh, that's, that's a dynamic guy, right? That's a dynamic speaker. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Darren Sproles would have about zero interest in wanting to coach. Yeah. And I also think Jordy Nelson would also have about zero interest in wanting to coach. I think he seems like a guy who's happy uh, showing up in Manhattan for games on Saturdays. But he probably spends uh, most of his time doing what he wants to do, and that's farming. Man, I love farming. Man, I love farming. So uh, he, uh, I think they both guys are probably enjoying some time with their families that they didn't get a whole lot of, uh, you know, throughout uh, their playing days in the NFL, and are probably enjoying some time, kind of winding down. That's right. Well, that wraps up. Ask the icon. Icon, I have a question for you. Any uh, anything uh, you want to talk about before we uh, put a bow on this episode of the Short Side Option? You know, not that I can think of, Dilo. All right. Well, we'll get to uh, Iowa State next week. And yeah, looking for. I mean, like you mentioned about that Iowa State game. That's a um, that does feel like it's a big one for for both teams, obviously, but for more of like a program perspective and and kind of how where K State finds themselves. I mean, this is a team that we thought would be a seven eight win team. If you want to, I mean, the conference schedule was very front loaded for K State with. Three teams that were, you know, maybe three of the top four or five teams in the um, in the Big Twelve right out out of the gate. Um, you know, it, tough opening part of the conference schedule. K State's looking down the barrel uh, here now at zero and two in conference play. They want to do everything they can not to be zero and three. No That's right about that. But we'll get more into that game uh, next week and, and yeah, start looking forward digging to it, that man. up. But. Uh, got a bye week so uh sit back enjoy your pumpkin picking your apple picking clothes shopping this weekend and uh watch some of the other games around the conference yeah and, and D-Lo, i'll get you that guy's number for the wranglers oh uh, very don't, good don't you don't you worry it hasn't slipped my mind uh yet so well folks that'll do it here uh for this edition of the short side option podcast we'll be back next week uh to preview k-state's matchup against iowa state a 6.30 kickoff at the Bill. A night game. Last game against Iowa State was a night game. Cold. Windy. Miserable yeah. to be outside in. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm going I'm to be in Manhattan Friday, Saturday. I can't wait for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, but the whole time I'm in Manhattan, you know what I'm really going to be thinking about? Varney's. Varney's and all the cool stuff they have there. Even when I'm doing games. Even when I'm podcasting. That's really what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I can't believe all the cool stuff they have here. Yeah. 
So uh, we'll be back next week to, to preview that one. Should be a, a fun time there with that. Until next time, folks. Thanks for listening to Short Side Option Podcast, and go Cats! <laughs>